So, um, wouldn't it be cool, guys, if there was a church that had no problems? You guys, okay, you guys been looking, Googling around for that perfect church? <clears throat> of course, guys, uh, you'd have to, as you heard it said, if you <laughs> do find a perfect church, don't join it. You're going to ruin it, okay? Uh, the problem is, guys, we're all, we're all sinners. There is no uh, perfect church, but there are people who love Jesus and we get that and we love each other and we keep encouraging each other towards the things of the Lord. The reality is, guys, this side of heaven, wherever you go, we live in a world that's been tainted by sin, okay? No matter where you go. Uh, The work of holiness really is this ongoing daily project. Some of us think that, you know, hey, am I ever going to arrive? Not this side of heaven, Okay. Do you guys know that there will be one day where we are with him, finally glorified, things of this life will be passed away, no more sin. I can't wait for that day. It's going to be beautiful. Um, but this side of heaven, daily project. And I'm kind of encouraged as we <clears throat> get to jump into Corinthians here, just considering once again, as we studied through Romans, Paul wrote that. Paul also wrote this letter to the Corinthians. And even if we had Paul here today ourselves, if he came in uh, to Pastor Freedom Fellowship with all that you know, apostolic authority, we'd still have problems in the church. That's just the way we are as people. So Paul here, um, he started and he ran the church in Corinth uh, for a year and a half. Yet, shortly after his departure, Satan comes in and the church just goes off rails. Um, we're going to run a lot across a lot of things as we study through this book together. There's divisions within the church. A lot of difficulties are addressed. There's factions, lawsuits, uh, immorality. There's questionable practices going on. There's abuse of the spiritual gifts happening, even abuse of the Lord's Supper. And Paul's going to cover all that and address all those things. And for a moment, I want us to picture, say that you were an elder in the early church, okay? You were there, you'd have no model to follow, there's no traditions to draw from, to look at. What problems might there be, okay? So the question this morning, as you guys can see in the slide here, is how can a church stand in a very pagan society? And that's really where this book is going to take us. And as I said last week, guys, I think Corinthians, you know, more than any other book in the Bible, is really for the church today, and especially here in the West, in America. Um, I've been in some very healthy churches, and I would say the healthiest churches I've ever been part of have actually been overseas. There's so much of the world that has crept into the church today. And as we go through this uh, book together over this next year, you guys are going to see some of those things come out. And you're going to be like, oh, (laughs) that's happening right here. Not necessarily all right here at Freedom Fellowship. But again, you guys know that there's really one church. There's different expressions of that church all over. So 1 Corinthians, we have hope that is going to be brought forth and also a challenge because we're going to see a... A person or a people in process, and we're also going to see a bride in rehab, okay? So there's a challenge here to reflect a perfect Savior in a way that we are really living, yet though we are imperfect. That's kind of a struggle, isn't it? 
because we don't have it all together. Anybody go this week without sinning? You had it all together? Did it really good? Okay. None of us. We, we still sin. We're, we still have a fallen nature, even though we've been born again of the Spirit of God and we can walk in the newness of life and that reality of, of being a new creation. Yet we still have a tendency. And that's why we're continually having to repent and turn to the Lord and be growing. So I want to share really quick the hope. You see that there's one day when all these struggles, they're going to be over. And we're going to stand perfect in the presence of the Savior. We can't wait for that. But Paul, okay, he had planted this church in Corinth. Okay, The apostle Paul okay, um, here planted the church in, a, in the city of Corinth. But the problem is the city got into the church. And we see a lot of that happening today, guys. Okay, where the worldly influences are entering into the church. I've even been to some pastor's conferences where they've had speakers, very well-known speakers, address all these church leaders from all over the state. It really broke my heart because what these teachers were doing were teaching, hey, these are world philosophies. This is how the world does it. And if you want to grow your church, you should do business this way. I don't know about you guys, but church isn't business. Okay? We're not to grow the church. Have you guys read that God adds to the church? He's the one who does it. And when we step in and allow the world, <laughs> you know, to influence us in how we're to do church, we've missed it. Because God has made it very clear. And that's why I love the scriptures. I love the epistles. I love what the Apostle Paul lays down for us. And we're going to see much as we get into Corinthians here. So when you get the reality of the world into the church, this explains why there's so many problems. We're told not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We constantly need to be renewed. And that's something that happens when we come to the scriptures, right? God, you're right. <laughs> I'm wrong. So a little bit of background real quick on Corinth. It was a Roman colony on Grecian soil, okay? The population was about 700,000. That's 46 times larger than Kakana. That's a lot of people, okay? Lots of people. Location was right on the isthmus. It was a landmass only about four miles wide there, connecting central and uh, southern Greece, uh, this was a very important trade route of the day. The vessels back then, if they didn't use the channel there in Corinth, they would have to go 200 miles around the peninsula. That's a lot of extra travel. So all trade routes went right through uh, Corinth there. It also was a two-port town making a cheap commerce of all of Greece in that day. In this wealthy city, there were opportunities for exotic goods. There was a lot of entertainment, culture, sensual pleasures. They abounded there. It's been said it was a bustling hub of worldwide commerce, degraded culture, and idolatrous religion. So the reputation during this time, the Greeks had a verb, and they, would used, to, they used to say to play the Corinthian. So if you were playing the Corinthian, it meant that you were a person who is living a loose life, okay? Just going for it. Pleasure seekers came there to spend their money on their vacations or holidays. Corinth there had a hill, the Acropolis, which was not only a fortress, um, but it had this famed temple of Aphrodite. How many of you guys have heard of her? 
okay? Uh, it boasted there that, you know, they had a, a thousand temple prostitutes there for Aphrodite. And you guys know that she was the Greek goddess of love, okay? The Roman equivalent of Venus. Interesting that Paul speaks of love in great detail. He really boasts the greatest chapter on love in Corinthians, right? Chapter 13. And then I love a couple chapters later, one of the best uh, passages of scripture that comes around the reality of the resurrection. I mean, this book is just jam-packed good <laughs> uh, truths. So a little bit of history real quick on the church in Corinth. Uh, 51 AD, the Apostle Paul steps into this uh, population of paganism, okay? And Paul started there a church, and this was his second trip through, okay? He was there for 18 months, and we read about that in Acts chapter 18, verse 11. He joined Priscilla and Aquila. You guys remember those guys? The tent makers. Silas and Timothy came to Corinth there. They brought a monetary gift from Philippi uh, to Paul, then devoted all uh, of his time there, he preached. That's what he did for a year and a half. Just preach, preach, preach. So Paul, after 18 months, he heads to Jerusalem. He stops in Ephesus, we're told, where he leaves uh, Aquila and Priscilla to attend uh, to the pneumatology class with Apollos, uh, who eventually went to Corinth to pastor there. So that's a little bit of their background. A few of the problems we're going to see uh, as we study through, when Paul left, big problems arose. Uh, he wrote a very stern letter, we're told, from 1 Corinthians 5, 9, but it was no to, no, to no avail. Uh, it didn't help. Paul had several correspondence with Corinth. There was probably four different letters, we're told, that were written uh, to this church in Corinth. Uh, only two are preserved for you and I, and that's what we're going to study. 1 Corinthians is probably the second letter that Paul wrote to them. So while Paul was in Ephesus, a delegation from Corinth came uh, with a letter asking uh, for help regarding some very specific questions that they had. So 1 Corinthians then is a response to it. So the first six chapters, if you're taking notes, guys, is going to deal with sin in the church. Okay? Some of you guys are like, well, I'm not going to come to church for a couple of weeks then. I don't like talking about sin. Guys, we need to talk about sin because it is a problem. Okay, It is something we all deal with and it's something that needs to be addressed. The largest church in America has said sin is not on the menu here. I have to ask, well, what are you preaching then? You can't open the Bible and find, I mean, it's first six chapters is going to deal with it here just in Corinthians. It's all over scripture. So we're going to see here, um, <clears throat> the church deals with it. So there's a rebuke uh, for sinful conditions in the first six chapters. And then chapters 7 to 16 then are answers from the questions that Paul had gotten. Okay, so he's going to reply to these very specific questions. And I'm glad... A lot of the questions that came up and he addresses are things I think the church today would be asking. Okay, so uh, we'll look at that. I want you guys to notice too, there's some chapter breaks. Chapter 7, verse 1, 8, 1, 12, 1, 16, 1, all start say, concerning this, and then he goes off. In chapter 7, concerning marriage. Chapters 8 to 10, idolatry. Is there idolatry today? Is that, do, are we worshiping other things? Absolutely. Uh, 
Chapter 11, public worship, chapters 12 to 14, concerning the spirituals, getting into the spiritual gifts, and then concerning the resurrection in chapter 15 and verse 16, special offerings. So, you guys ready to dive in? Awesome. So a bride in rehab, guys. Before we look at verse 1 here, Paul's going to dig into a few different issues. Some of you guys like to outline as you study through. I know I do. We're going to look at uh, Paul affirming the, their calling there as believers in Corinth. He's also going to express thanks, and then he's going to exalt the faithfulness of God. Okay, So let's take a look here at Paul affirming their calling in verse 1. Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of, the, of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you guys see called or calling there in verse 2, we see it also in verse 9, 24, and 26 in this chapter, okay? They are called. Now, what are they called to? Well, according to verse 2, okay, they are called to be saints. But you guys notice that two B's in italics there? That wasn't in the magic. Every time you see italicized words in the Bible, it wasn't in the original manuscripts. So that should really be crossed out in your Bible. It's not in the text. So it's really saints by calling. Do you guys understand that? You are called, well, pastor, I don't feel like a saint. <laughs> I'm kind of sinful once in a while. I feel dirty. I don't feel holy. If you're in Christ, you're a saint. Do you understand that? I think it's funny. We have the Catholic Church. They have a lot of saints, in order for a person to be considered a saint or find sainthood within you know, that denomination, you have to do these certain things. Well, it's kind of crazy because when we consider what God defines as a saint, it's anyone who's believed on Jesus Christ. So there's really two categories of people. You've heard me say this before. We have the saints and the ain'ts. That's it. It's not men and women or some skin color, or some class of people that you may be a part of. <laughs> when it's all said and done, this life is but a vapor, we're told by James. And the only thing that matters in this life, guys, are you a saint? Have you bowed the knee to Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in him? Have you been born again of the Spirit of God? Because that's how you become a saint. <laughs> Either you're a saint or you're an ain't. And that's the only thing that's going to matter for all time. You're going to stand before God one day. And if you ain't a saint, you ain't getting in. You guys understand? So either you are or you're not. I don't know where you are in your personal faith with God. I don't know if you've bowed the knee and said yes to him. I believe I'm in. I'm repentant from my sin, from me. <laughs> you're my Lord. I'm in. I believe. Save me. Forgive me. Okay? That's a saint. Isn't that cool? Well, <clears throat> if you knew me... <laughs> You know I believe in Jesus, but I ain't no saint. It doesn't matter what I see. It doesn't even matter what you see. What does God see? If you're in Christ, you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. You are spotless. You are sinless in the eyes of God. Isn't that cool? 
I think that's so cool. That's the beauty of the gospel. And that's what we saints get to share with the ants of this world. So go share, guys. But pastor, ain't ain't a word. We're not going to discuss that. Look at verse 3. I love when he brings up, and this is a common greeting in Paul's letters, but he says, grace to you, okay? So grace is that which brings into our lives everything that delights the heart of God, okay? Do you guys know that you are what you are by the grace of God? Man, if there is anything praiseworthy in your life, good, honorable, it's because of God's grace. Do you guys understand that? It is him, and it's by us receiving that grace, living in that grace, that grace that will suffice no matter what we face, can bring glory to God. So he says grace to them and peace. Okay, Peace doesn't imply laziness or inactivity. Okay, It's a movement without friction. It's creating perfect harmony. Because life can be chaotic, can't it? Circumstances can be stressful. But man... If we have the peace of God, it don't matter what is being thrown at us. Hey, <laughs> I got the peace of God. It's all good. I may have had a horrible week. I may have been sick all week, down and out. And you guys know when you're sick, <laughs> whether we like it or not, our spirits are connected to our bodies. But God, through his grace, can give you what you need when you're weak. And he can meet you with his peace. That even when things don't go right, everything keeps breaking. Things aren't working out. Hey, it's all right. <laughs> no friction here. I'm still moving on with God. His purposes. I love when we have his grace. And you guys can't have his peace without his grace. You guys understand that? Grace first, and then the peace of God will come. So if you've not been saved by the grace of God, there is no wonder you don't have peace with your maker. You need to receive the gift of salvation. It is a gift of grace. And you can only receive that by faith. And when you do, you have peace with God. It's beautiful. So there's two inner powers God has given to each of us as his children. Let's move on to verse 4. Paul here expresses some thanks. He says, I thank my God always concerning you. Again, he's writing to the Corinthians. For the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift. What a neat heart. Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul says in verse 4, hey, I thank God always for you guys, okay? <laughs> concerning, all these things concerning you. Paul was always bringing those, you know, that he loved before the Lord in prayer. Praying. It is good to be praying for one another. It is good to come before the throne of God and to lift up one another. It reminds me of a story of a man who encountered some trouble while he was flying his little airplane. He called the control tower and he said, Pilot to tower, I'm 300 miles from the airport, 600 feet from the ground. I'm out of fuel and I'm going down 
rapidly. Please advise, over. Tower to pilot, the dispatcher began. Repeat after me, our Father who art in heaven. <laughs> you see, Paul, guys, <clears throat> thanks God for the gifts that he had given to the Corinthian believers. I want you guys to look around just for a moment at our church family. I know a lot of people aren't here this morning. But just even with the few that are here, there's a lot of different gifts represented. God's done a lot in our lives. He's given much to this little local body of believers. Do we thank God for those? Okay. It's good to be in a place of thanksgiving. A lot of times we look at the negative or what we don't have. And we can spiral down. We can get down and depressed. And that's not what God's asked us to do. Give thanks. <laughs> Thank the Lord for what he has done, for what he has given. And the cool thing about Corinthians, did you guys catch that the believers there, they received all spiritual gifts? I don't know if you guys caught this yet, but the Corinthians were very carnal. They were very fleshy, okay? That was some of the problems that was going on in the church. But even though they were worldly, fleshy, they had all the spiritual gifts. So, what do we do with this? Well, we're going to get there in chapter 12 and 14 eventually. But I think it's cool that here in verse 7, it says that they received all the spiritual gifts. We're told in verse 8 then that Paul thanks God for the guarantee God gave the Corinthian believers. So confirm you to the end refers to their eternal security. Some of you guys believe that we can lose our salvation. I don't know how we have scriptures like this in the Bible if that's not true. Okay? He confirms you to the end. If you're in Christ, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, brother and sister. Okay? You are in Christ. Okay? If you walk away and you no longer have faith in Christ, I would probably question whether or not you were really saved. Okay? I know I can be disobedient, okay? and try to run away from God because of my sinful desires, but I know him. There is no way I could ever say, no, Jesus isn't real. I, I know he's alive. Okay, I've been born again of his spirit. He's my dad. For me to ever deny that, I would be lying. Okay, So a person who says, well, I don't believe any longer, I'd have to say, well, were you ever born again? Because okay, if you were really born again, you really knew him. And if you really knew him, you can't say he's not real now, okay? You guys get where I'm going? Yeah. Oh, good. So Paul exalts the faithfulness of God in verse 9. I love this. God is faithful. Is that underlined in your Bibles? I hope so. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So God is faithful. Do you guys know that? Okay. I don't know if he's faithful because pastor, you don't know what's going on in my life. This is maybe the hardest season, the hardest thing I've ever gone through. I don't know if God is really there. I don't know if he's going to get me through this. I know he will. Sometimes it feels that way. But the cool thing when you walked with Jesus a little while, there's a track record. <laughs> you can look back. There, there's hindsight. And there were a lot of things. I didn't know how God was going to work it out, how he would see me through. But you know what? He's been faithful 100% of the time. 
Why wouldn't he be faithful 100% of the time moving forward? He said he's going to be. He's done it in the past, so why am I tripping about the future? So guys, God is faithful. Circle it. Highlight it. Put a cute little heart next to that in your Bible. God is faithful. And also, guys, it says you're called into the fellowship of his son. Okay, some of you guys have been enjoying our koinonia cuisines. We're getting together with brothers and sisters, and we're enjoying fellowship together. This word koinonia, having everything in common. Okay, and that's what we have when we have fellowship with Jesus in one another. We're in partnership with him. So your interests are his. Your mind and its thoughts are his. Your body and its purity, your spirit and its graciousness. So his interests are yours, his glory, the wonder of his person, his majesty, his greatness, guys, of his power. I love, I read Alan Redpath this week and he said this, all he has is at your disposal now and his desire is that all you have should be his disposal now and always. Think about that, guys. We have all this in Christ. It's been given to us. So Paul addresses two numerous problems that were really confronting the Corinthian church, okay? In verses 10 to 31, and we're not going to get through the whole chapter this morning because the second part, which we're going to do next week, is so good. Okay, I wanted to give time to that. But verses 10 to 17, and this is what we'll continue our time this morning looking at, is really elevating human leaders. And then the rest of the chapter, verses 18 to 31, they were elevating human wisdom. Okay, and we'll look at that next week. Um, And real quick, the wisdom of man today says that there is no God. Do you guys know that's what the brightest people know? Those are the fools of the world because God says, only a fool says in his heart, there is no God. So we're going to confront human wisdom next week. Um, So the Corinthian letter really exposes the tragedy of low-level Christian living. So let's take a look here. Verse 10 and on, elevating these human leaders. He says in verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there is to be some divisions among you. What? No? Oh, sorry. It says a few, only a few divisions. What does it say, guys? There should be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided was paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of paul i thank god that i baptized none of you except for crispus and gaius at least anyone should say i baptized in my own name yes i also baptized the house of stephanus besides i do not know whether i bapt any other for christ did not send me to baptize 
but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So there's four fan clubs stated here. Did you guys catch these? We see Paul, Apollos, Simon, Peter, and then Christ in verses 10 to 12 there. You guys know that Christ died for us and lives to help us be all that he's designed us to be, that he must have the preeminence. So Paul's really asking, are you following the man or are you following the message? What are you receiving? What are you receiving, right? Because it's the same today, true? Are there people giving themselves to a man, (laughs) that ministry, rather than the message? Because what's the message, guys? It's Jesus Christ. And any man of God should be like the Apostle Paul. Hey, follow me. But follow me as I follow Jesus, because it's really not about me. It's about him, and it's him we preach, right? So apparently, guys, the argument consists around those mainly who Paul baptized. That's kind of what the problem was here for these believers. Did you guys catch in verse 11, it tells us that Chloe's household wrote to Paul the factions that had developed in the church regarding the most important man in the church, okay? So was it Paul, the founder, okay? Or Apollos, the pastor, okay? Incredibly intelligent man. Or Cephas, wasn't he the first pope? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) The, The number one apostle, otherwise known as Peter, the rock on which the church would be built, right? Or Christ, Jesus' only doctrine, right? Okay? They receive only teachings directly from him. No other man. Only what Jesus says. Period. Okay? Um, Let's do a test real quick. Okay? What does it sound like? You know? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? (laughs) No. (laughs) It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's all about God. Do you guys understand that? It's in his name, him. So some are proud of their denominations. <laughs> I'm so glad we're non-denominational. No, there's a lot of pride too. <laughs> I denominate? No, I'm non-denomination. We just believe the Bible. Isn't there pride all around? Guys, there's one church. One church. Do you know Jesus or not? That's what matters, guys. There's pride all around. And they were feeling very proud of the teacher they followed. Very proud of that. Then sanity, we see in verse 17, you know, (laughs) And Paul, I love what he says in the first part of verse 13. You know, me, Paul, was I crucified for you? I mean, he just lays it down. (laughs) Can I save you? No, it's Jesus. I've had people over the years like, hey, I need to talk to you, the pastor. You're the only one that can help me. You know, my heart sinks. You know, I've had people call me tripping on the phone. And I'm like, hey, have you talked to Jesus about this yet? No click i'm not a savior you're not the savior of the world 
Jesus is the Savior of the world. All we can do is point people to him. He's the one who's going to do the saving, guys. So, we look at Paul and we say, wow. <laughs> How can Paul say that baptism was required for salvation? Some believe that, right? You know, Paul's not even making a deal about it. He's like, hey, I'm preaching the gospel. <laughs> faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if we're saved by grace through faith, you better be hearing the preaching of the good news. That's what you need. Getting wet doesn't save anybody. That's unscriptural, guys. Jesus saves people. We're not saved by works. And if getting wet... <laughs> Anyways, we talked about that in the past. The point is, if it was important, Paul would have made it very important here. Paul masterfully turns their attention to Christ and the cross here. So Paul has taken a stand consistently to bring hearers back to the cross. It's one thing I love about his ministry. Man, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Okay? I think about the book of Acts. A lot of times as we study the epistles that Paul wrote, he wrote 14 of them in the New Testament. And it's kind of cool because as we go through the book of Acts, we get to see Paul's missionary journey. And we get to see what happened in these different cities. And we know there he was in Athens in chapter 17 of Acts. And there what <clears throat> people, professors, um, those who study English and the orators of the past, they say what Paul laid down, the sermon he preached there in Athens, is probably the greatest uh, you know, speech that has ever been given upon the planet. And it is good. But do you know how many people got saved? Zero. Okay. And he gets to Corinthians, and what does he lay down? Well, we're going to get there next week. But hey, it's not with flattering words, guys. It comes the power of the gospel. It's determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ, preaching him and him crucified, period. And we saw God do a great work there in Corinth. And guys, that's what we have to share. Sometimes we think we need to have just the perfect thing to say, the perfect way of bringing in the gospel message to somebody. Guys, just share Jesus. Okay, it doesn't need to be eloquent. It doesn't need to be well-polished. Because let me tell you what, we're all sinners. We all need a Savior. And sharing Jesus is as simple as that. Hey, I know you're a sinner because you're like me. I'm a sinner. <laughs> we need saving. And there is a Savior. His name is Jesus. And let me tell you what he did because he loves you. It's that simple, guys. So, how many of you guys have heard <clears throat> the song Onward Christian Soldier? Yeah, Onward Christian Soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ the royal master leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banner go. I'd like to share a parody with you guys of Onward Christian Soldier. Like a halting caravan moves the church of Christ. We are feebly faltering toward a timid Christ. We are all divided, many bodies we, kept apart by doctrine and lack of charity. Careful Christian pilgrims, walk in doubt and fear with the cross of Jesus bringing up the rear. Well, 
Where is the church at today, guys? I'm sick of playing the games. I'm sick of the divisions in the church. I don't want to feed it any longer. I just want to do what Jesus says. Hey, be united. Love one another. All right. I can do that because you've asked me to do that. See, Paul's very convinced here that the answer in each controversy and every failure as we as uh, all hope <laughs> that there is for the future, okay, the word of the cross is what's important. We need to look to Jesus. That's where our fellowship's found, right? It's not in if you believe if the rapture is going to happen before the millennium or post-millennium. <laughs> That's not where our fellowship is found. It's found in what Jesus has done upon the cross. That's where our fellowship is, guys. If you guys ever, you know, just bumped into somebody who's of a total different denomination, you know, and you had real fellowship with them just because they knew Jesus and loved him, doctrinally, you might not agree on a lot of stuff, but you were able to love each other and fellowship and really encourage one another in the Lord. I have many times as beautiful the Spirit is there. <laughs> He's at work. Things are being done. And it's beautiful because in that, hey, maybe you'll end up talking doctrinal things. Iron sharpens iron, guys. But if we're not able to come together, how <laughs> are we ever going to have opportunity to speak into one another's lives? Okay? Let's love each other. Let's strive for unity. How many of you guys are familiar with John Bunyan? Love them. If you haven't read The Pilgrim's Progress, please read it, okay? Phenomenal read in his immortal work. He says this at the end of the book. I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosed from his shoulders and fell from his back, and he began to tumble till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher, where it fell in, and I saw it no more. Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, he has given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. I love that, guys. So I want to encourage you as we continue to study through the book of Corinthians, okay? I want you guys to really commit what Paul's laying down Am I doing this? Is this an encouragement to keep on or is this a rebuke and I need to repent of some things? Because let me tell you what, guys. There is no perfect church. We have all fallen short. Things get messy. But we do have choices. When God speaks, are we going to say, okay, I'm done with my agenda, my rights, my wants, I'm willing to humble myself and say, yeah, I'm going to do it your way, God. That's all he's asking of us, guys. There's no super secret to success in the church. It's just doing what God's asked us to be. There's no magic number. Oh, if the church grows to this many people, then you're successful. No. Okay? God adds to the church. He, does want, he wants in the church. Our job is just to come alongside and do what he's asking. And what does he ask us to do? Hey, love. Especially, do good to those of the household of faith. So your brothers and sisters, let's love each other. Let's take care of each other. 
Let's keep pointing each other to Jesus Christ because he is the answer. Let's be open to what God's wanting to do in the way of correction because do we have it all together here? No. Do we want to be open to God correcting us, transforming us, changing us, that we can be a better tool, let's say, in his toolbox for his purposes? Because he has a part for us. It's not by chance you are born now at this time in history. I don't know if you guys ever think about that. There are things that God is up to right now. I know some Christians have just given up. Hey, the world's falling apart. We're living in the last days. Jesus is coming back. I believe that. But it doesn't change what God's asked us to be as the church and the things he's calling us to do. Our mission doesn't change in light of what time of history we live. We're here now for a purpose, and I'm excited to do life with you guys. I'm excited to see what the Lord has this new year for us. So I'm encouraging you guys, read ahead in Corinthians. If you chew through the whole book this next week, that would be great. That would be awesome.